I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the high for season five of The Connor and Smith Show. Okay, what's the lineup tonight? Today. Today, tonight. Whenever you're listening. Whenever you're listening, it's either the moon or the sun. We are talking to Kathy Voitko. Yay, Kathy. Yes. Um, we had a lot of good catch up. Yes, we did indeed. And I got to, you know, really meet her for the first time. Um, so we're going to talk to Kathy in just one moment. I just wanted to send a special thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers who are supporting us. Thank you so much for your continued support. It means the world to us. If you want to check out our Patreon and get exclusive content of The Connor and Smith Show, you can find us on Patreon under Connor and Smith. That's Connor with an E-R. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello? Hello. Hi, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can. I just turned up my volume. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. I am sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, Matt. How you doing? <laughs> how are you? I'm pretty good. We just had a three o'clock matinee, so I got home. I ate some dinner, and I couldn't wait to talk to you guys. <laughs> That's very sweet. We're also joined by our producer, Ryan Dean Halbrook. Hi, Kathy. Wonderful to have you. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Am I okay audially? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, great. Where are you, audio bubbly? I am um, in my office in Bloomfield, New Jersey. <laughs> You're in New Jersey? <laughs> yes. Well, I was just talking to a uh, mutual friend of ours on the phone the other day. And I said, Flo, Flo Lacey, we're going to talk to Kathy Voidko. <laughs> and we start talking about the holidays and the traditions that your family has with her family. We do. Yes, we often sing at their church for Christmas, a beautiful Christmas concert. Oh, it's, it's really lovely. And Flo is my hero. She is the reason that I was able to sing uh, Evita for a year with a healthy sound because Flo and her husband, Tim, gave me all the secret tips of the trade. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. We, we've we known Flo for, gosh. Did you meet Flo first? Uh, or, or was it Nevermore? Yeah, I did because. She was in a show first. Yeah, she played my mother in a show at Signature Theater in 2004. And then she starred in your first show, Nevermore, Matt, that you wrote. Yeah. Um, and she has been like a staple of our lives and shows we've written and everything since. And <laughs> she said that you guys are the ones who dragged her out of retirement. She said, I think I'm going to slow down. But then every now and again, you guys write something extraordinary and she can't possibly say no. <laughs> because we tailor it for her and she's amazing and we know what she can do. And it's incredible. That's awesome. Um, I'll never forget the first, okay, this is not going to be about Flo, but I'll never forget the one time in rehearsal. I should have never. totally talk about Flo. I love her. I should have not said this. The one time in rehearsal for Nevermore, it was like, I don't know, like a, you know, a high C. It wasn't even a big deal to her, to Flo, but I, I said, um, can you belt that? And uh, I didn't mean it like, can you? I meant, you know, would you kind of thing. And she looked at me kind of like, can I? I <laughs> said, how dare, dare you? <laughs> which, which octave would you like, Connor? <laughs> Okay, so I think you're originally from a Pennsylvania town. That's correct, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And do we want to talk a little bit about the history? It's an infamous story, right? The history of Johnstown? It's mostly known for floods that kill more people than any flood in the history of floods, save maybe Noah's Ark. Right. Uh, but yes, it's, it's a small town in western Pennsylvania, about an hour and a half from Pittsburgh. Is it, be, is it because the town is kind of down in a valley? 
well mountains it's along the appalachian mountains so it is it is the allegheny section of the of the appalachian mountain range and it's beautiful so there's very high mountains and a lot of rivers similar to pittsburgh so there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs and there just ended up being a big fishbowl effect of the water kind of splashing around between the mountains and hanging out in the valley. Right. It's actually, I think it won an Academy Award, the uh, documentary about it that Len Carriou narrates, actually. Yes. Um, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm also a Western Pennsylvania boy, Kathy. I what? Am, yes. I'm, I'm from Connellsville, Pennsylvania. Oh, my gosh. Um, and my mother still lives in Greensburg. Oh my heavens! I, I I really love Western Pennsylvania, and it's amazingly it is amazingly rich in the arts. And you might not know that if unless you're from the area, but there's so much art, visual arts, and performing arts, and it's wildly rich in the arts in, in Western PA. And I'm very grateful that that's where I started. What um, brought you? How did you find out first about Shed? Well, first let's go back to little little Kathy. What what made you um, first kind of tune into the arts or, you know, uh, feel like you wanted to twirl and sing? When did the bug bite you? <laughs> well, I will say that one of the things that I did growing up is there was a small ballet company called the Johnstown Concert Ballet. And that I just thought it was beautiful. And two of my sisters danced in the ballet company. So as soon as I was allowed... I, I got into the ballet company and danced and danced and danced some more. Didn't really sing, but I danced a lot. And every now and again, they do a co-production with the Johnstown Symphony Orchestra. We do a Nutcracker and the symphony would play and it would be extraordinary. So I was surrounded by the arts, not necessarily music theater, though. That wasn't until I got into high school I was only a dancer. I was mute, apart from like in church, I would sing, but I, I didn't really have any singing formal training. <laughs> and then at some point during high school, the local community theater said, hey, can we borrow some dancers for our production of Pippin? Wow. And they called the Johnstown Concert Ballet. And I said, yeah, that sounds fun. I'll do it. We've and got some magic to do. <laughs> I had some magic to do. And I did a production of Pippin. And again, I sang a little bit in the chorus because, you know, everyone was singing. And but mostly I was a dancer, very, very, very scantily clad dancer. And then they did a production of Camelot. And again, they borrowed us. And I thought that was really fun. And then about the same time, my parents took us to see Les Mis. I believe it, it was at the Benedum. It could have been Heinz Hall, but I think it was at the Benedum in Pittsburgh. And I sat there sobbing, watching Les Mis. And I was sitting beside my mom. And as I'm crying sometime during act two, I leaned over to her and I said, I think I want to do that. And my mom is amazing. And she didn't say, what, are you nuts? She just said, go for it. And so then I immediately got a voice teacher um, called Marianne Jacobs. And she helped me learn a couple songs so that I could start auditioning for colleges. So I had a really non-traditional path because so many of my friends when I had gotten to college had done theater, like theater classes, theater camps, a hundred of their local community theater productions. And I didn't know anything. Had I known what I didn't know, I would have been scared out of my mind. But, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. And boy, was I ignorant. <laughs> but fortunately, I could carry a tune and I could dance. And so I got into Shenandoah. I think mostly because I could dance and a little bit because I could sing. <laughs> what do you remember because um, I'm sure you were looking at more than one school. Do you remember how Shenandoah got on your radar? Was it like some like a flyer brochure, one of those college books or something? No, it was much easier than that. Chris Coop, and, um, who was a Shenandoah alum, um, may she rest in peace. We, we lost her a few years ago uh, after a double lung transplant, and it didn't, it didn't take forever, sadly. And, um, but Chris... Chris's mom and my mom were best pals growing up. And Chris was six years older than I was, but I had seen that she went to Shenandoah and I called her and I said, hey, what did you think of this school? And she said, this school is amazing. It taught me everything I know. I think that you should absolutely audition there. And so I went and visited Carnegie Mellon and I went and visited Point Park and I was so intimidated that I didn't even know what to do with myself. But when I went to Shenandoah, 
everyone was so kind and so welcoming that I didn't even end up auditioning anywhere else. So by the grace of God, Shenandoah accepted me because I didn't really have a plan B. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I, I too looked at Carnegie Mellon and uh, Point Park and was like, well, that's no, I, I, I don't feel like I fit there. And I even looked at this yeah. school. Oh, my God. You probably not even heard of it, but I think it's, it was called Seton Hall. Oh, yeah. Um, and their stage was like the size of my living room. And I was like, well, that's not it either, because, you know, I can do shows in my living room. Um, but then Shenandoah came to me because of uh, of. I was best friends with the preacher's daughter and it was, we were in a Methodist church and they were looking at this Methodist, you know, university and asked if I wanted to come and see the musical, which I think was Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, oh, that'll suck you in. That's a great score. <laughs> yeah. 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 Kind of blew. And I was not familiar. Um, so it kind of blew my mind apart and then I had to go there. Right. I think you also saw the wonderful Good News. I you? did. I almost changed my mind after I saw the spring musical Good News. Um, I've never seen it. I can't comment. Well, I think I think I crewed one of Kathy's maybe last performances in Armstrong before she graduated. I think. Okay. And I think that might have been my one and only. Oh, that would have, let's see, my one only was my junior year of college. So. Okay, then I was there, then you were there a year and a half with me. We were together. Yeah, yeah cause Dane, Dane was uh, the star of that and Dane is a year ahead of me. So it had to have been my junior year. But yes, Matt, I, I think we had a full year and a half for sure. Or at least two. Or did you, you know, know what, you know what, so, well, I started in January. Oh, you did come midway, okay. Um, but what's funny is uh, my father has an auction house and long story short, someone came and was selling some stuff at the auction on consignment. They were leaving it to sell. But before they left, they threw a bunch of stuff away in the trash. And my father came to my home here in Arlington. He said, Matt, I want you to sit down. And I thought, oh, God. And he, he told me the story of someone coming to the auction and throwing stuff away. And he immediately went through the trash. And it was stuff that belonged to Hal Herman. Oh, <laughs> and in the trash, they had thrown away one of his grade books. So upstairs in my office, I have Hal Herman's grade book with his, I, I, don't, I think it's 92 and 93. <laughs> and, it, and it has all of us in it working on what our scenes were. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how crazy is it that I ended up with Hal Herman's grade book that's now upstairs in the office? So I know that your name is in it. Was there some funny dirt in that grade book? I'm just curious. <laughs> no, there was no dirt. It just had penciled in or written in pen the the scene that you were working on. And then I think it had little checks beside it, I think signifying possibly how many weeks you were working on it. And that was it. And, oh, and a grade. And a grade. But it was sad to realize as I was looking through it that, you know, some of the classmates have passed away. Oh, yes. Yeah. So let's talk about Shenandoah. All right. So um, what was your experience like there? You, you were a dancer mainly sort of before college? Yes, entirely before college. I didn't, I didn't do a musical apart from being like I said, asked to do the sort of a ringer dancer for the two community theater productions. But other than that, my high school did not have a music theater program at all at that point. Um, sidebar, I went to a Catholic high school and I believe that the people who ran it had been hastily moved to a different parish. I'll yeah. leave that. And um, so we didn't have any music theater in my high school in the years I was there which is I, kind of ironic because they had formerly had a really good music program. Mm. And then I got to Shenandoah and Mr. Herman, I just remember having a meeting with him and he said something like, I think you should also work on many a new day. And I said, what's that from? And he put his head in his hands and said, oh, Kathy, you have so much work to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so he gave me a private assignment. He said, your assignment is to go to 
the library, the theater library, and watch every music theater video that you can get your hands on, all our summer productions or, you know, copies that they had of movie musicals. He said, educate yourself while you're here. Don't just come to class, but you also have to catch up because you don't know anything about anything. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what he said. Uh, <laughs> and he was right. I, I had never seen Oklahoma. I had never seen, apart from like maybe a Turner movie classic day, like I'd never really seen West Side Story. I didn't know anything. <laughs> so uh, my whole freshman year, I spent an incredible amount of time in the theater library just watching videos and trying to catch up with everybody who kept making references that were so over my head I had not a clue. So I was scared to death my first year of Shenandoah. Who did you uh, study voice with? I studied voice with Dr. Sargent all four years and he was terrific and he said something to me in my third or fourth lesson I said, is it awful to teach somebody who doesn't know anything? And he said, well, no, because it's not like you have any habits for me to break because you have no habits at all. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so he said, it's just starting from scratch. Uh, so he was remarkably patient and kind and lovely. What are some of uh, some of the, oh, oh go ahead. Matt. Oh, I know I'm remembering you, we, you, was it, was it the senior year that you were in the secret garden or was that SSMT? That was summer music theater that we did Secret Garden. That was a lovely production directed by Lindy Hayen, Hal Herman's wife. Yes, yes. That was so beautiful. Oh, that was a pleasure. She had a real vision for it. And um, she made a few cuts that I don't think were ever sanctioned by <laughs> Music Theater International or whoever owns the rights to that. But it made it so beautiful. She had such a way with children's theater and TYA and she came at it from that storytelling aspect. It was very romantic, but it was also very kid friendly. And there was something about it that was just a, an indescribably unique experience. I That's one of my favorite things that I ever did at Shenandoah actually. What were, um, just out of curiosity, what were some of the, the roles that you got to play during your time at SU, whether in the school year or SSMT that you still like remember or had a great time with? Well, I'll give you a top three. Um, the one that shocked me that was a joy start to finish was the robber bridegroom. Yes. I didn't know about it. I didn't know anything. I, I When they announced it that year, we all kind of went, oh, what's that? Because we were snobby at that point because um, we felt like we knew all about the music theater industry or something. <laughs> right announced it we all groaned and then that ended up being one of the most delightful onstage experiences ever um storytale theater and this kind of bluegrassy music was heaven and we had a ball so i was lucky enough to play rosamond in the robber bridegroom heaven so you got to sing sleepy man yes but everything about it uh, my friend lee shadel who got to play salome she was hilarious and gil braswell i it was such a great cast and everybody told the story. That was the nice part of that is nobody ever left stage for more than a hot minute. Is We were all telling the story together and that made it really fun. And it gave me a greater appreciation for the ensemble storytelling as opposed to the ensemble being the set dressing. The whole ensemble, and I mean principals included in the ensemble, the whole ensemble told the story together and that created a different kind of love that I have for theater now. I love when the story is told by the whole group as opposed to two people. Was that, who directed that, Hal? Hal directed that, yes. And uh, Tom, Dr. Tom Albert was the music director, but that was also a unique experience because it was more of a band in that because we had a couple guitars and a couple bass and it was, then they were on stage with us. And again, it made such a unique onstage experience that everybody was up there telling the story. It wasn't just the actors. The musicians were also part of the storytelling in a in-your-face sort of way, not just by telling the story through their instrument. All right. So Robert Bridegroom, what are the other two? Well, like Matt said, uh, Secret Garden, that was a summer theater right. production. Distinctly fabulous experience. And then one that I'm almost scared to say because I was absolutely terrified was Into the Woods. 
Um, that was my sophomore year and I wasn't ready yet. I, I, even to this day, I will tell you that I was a little bit miscast because it was too big for me. I was, I did, wasn't ready acting. I wasn't ready singing. I just wasn't ready. I felt like I was playing catch up the whole time, but the rest of the cast sort of pulled me along and Mr. Herman believed in me, I guess, but I was scared to death and it ended up being the most fun. And that would be my love for Sondheim. And I was lucky enough to work with Sondheim later in my career. And I, it was a, a strange sort of bookend, beautiful thing, but I, I loved doing Into the Woods, but I was so scared at the time and I've never auditioned for it since. And I, now that I think about that, I have to audition for Into the Woods at some point because I would love another crack at it now that I. <laughs> what, what role, Kathy? I was the baker's wife and like oh. I was sophomore in college and I knew nothing. I had been giving myself a video education my whole freshman year. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm delighted that I got to do it. it. Those three are my probably top three. So I just want to say, yes. I remember going to the library and putting the VHS tapes in and watching all of that stuff. That was always really cool. And it was VHS tapes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's an interesting time warp there. Um, you want to get my eye cream out. But yes, they were. <laughs> Some of them were terrible quality, but you got the gist anyway. At yeah. least it wasn't laser discs, you know? It was not laser discs. It would have been a better picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Kathy graduates from Shenandoah. What, what are her next steps? Well, I was fortunate I won a fellowship that um, Gordon... Uh, oh, gosh, isn't that terrible? Uh, that's how I know I'm senile. His last name is escaping me. It was a fellowship that Dane had won and it gave us a set amount of funds to go to New York and take some lessons. Wait, and I think I remember this. This was an SU thing? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. It was, I think it was only for like three years or so. I think that he just did a couple people and it was Gordon Gooch. Whoo! Thank you, Gordon. Um, but And it would just gave us a, a little stipend to help us that first year in New York. And so we took, uh, I took a voice lesson, a vocal coaching and a dialect coach um, for, I think it was about six months and a small stipend to help with um, apartment expenses. But, uh, you know, New York is very expensive. So when I say it was a small stipend to help with, it didn't, certainly didn't pay the rent. I was still waiting tables and hostessing and shared a very, very, very small bed, one bedroom with a pal. And uh, that's what I did. But I was honestly, I was scared to death of New York City. Mm. Scared the crap out of me being a small town girl. It, 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 I wasn't quite ready. And I was auditioning at the same time. And I got Sally and me and my girl at the Fireside Dinner Playhouse in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And they gave me my equity eligibility. And I also met the fabulously talented Mark Robin. He was our choreographer. And he said, hey, Kathy, I'm doing a production. It's the Midwest premiere of Crazy For You at Candlelight Theater in Chicago. You should come audition. And I said, I love Crazy For You. I'd love to audition. So I drove down to Chicago on our day off and I auditioned for Crazy For You. And I got it and I got my equity card. And then I ended up staying in Chicago for about three years because I was just in love with Chicago. I fell in love with that entire theater community and the whole vibe there. And they were doing really cool. They had so many small grungy storefront theaters that were not afraid to push the edge. And they had big splashy Broadway musical main stage shows. And I, I really loved it. And I worked there consistently for three years and I, I worked myself to the bone. I, I did, TYA in the morning, I'd be doing a kid's show and I would be doing a main stage show at night. And I slept very few hours, but I was the happiest girl in the world because I just couldn't believe that I was a professional music theater performer making my entire living acting and singing and dancing. It was a magical, magical couple of years. And I, I, Chicago is my favorite city to this day. Really? What, what took you away from it? I auditioned for a the touring production of Phantom of the Opera. And um, I had had a relationship that just ended and I got cast as the Christine cover on the third national of Phantom of the Opera. And the, 
they flew me um, on a day off from Crazy for You. The second time I did Crazy for You in Chicago, they flew me to the Majestic in in New York City to sing for Hal Prince because Hal Prince had final say on all of his principles at that time. And that's when I was like, oh, oh, this is this is a big deal. And they flew me to the Majestic and I got the thumbs up and I left from Chicago and immediately jumped on the tour of Phantom of the Opera. And I was the understudy for about a year and a half. And then I took over one of the Christines because there's two Christines in that in in Phantom. And uh, then I did it for another little over a year. So I was out there for almost three years. And after that, I was like, well, I gave my notice and they said, why are you leaving? Nobody leaves Phantom voluntarily. <laughs> right. And I said, I, I just want to see if I can do anything else. I want to see if anybody else will hire me. And I kind of want to see if I can get on Broadway, just at least one show. And so I left the tour and I sort of sucked it up and went back to New York. And um, about six weeks later, I got cast in Oklahoma on Broadway, the Trevor Nunn, Susan Stroman version. And um, that was my Broadway debut. So I don't know if I hadn't gotten cast in Fan of the Opera, I, I might have just stayed in Chicago forever because I love it. And like I said, that theater community is wonderful. And I've gone back, oh my gosh, I don't even know how many times, every couple of years, whenever they asked me to. I go back to Chicago and do a show there because it's just a, a fabulous town. So Oklahoma, don't get me wrong, I love New York as well. <laughs> so Oklahoma, that musical you didn't know um, <laughs> from how was your Broadway debut. And That's exactly right. Thank God we watched the film. Yeah. Um, Isn't that hilarious that Mr. Herman had assigned that to me my freshman year, Many a New Day, and I didn't know what it, what it was from. He must have known, but that was my Broadway debut. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the Oklahoma that had Hugh Jackman in it, correct? Well, the London production had Hugh in it. Um, okay. The production I did, uh, Patrick Wilson was the curly. Ah, him. He's okay. Yeah, he was terrific. It was, it was <laughs> beautiful, beautiful production. I, I really had a great time doing it. I'm super grateful. Um, I, and I, I, actually, who I'm working with again right now on Music Man was Judd, and he won the Tony that year. Right. That's what Schuler Hensley? Yes. And I did the opera uh, Regina with Schuler at the Kennedy Center with Patty Lapone. Yes. Oh gosh, see, it's a small world. We're all connected. So funny. Schuler Schuler had just played Frankenstein in um God, what was it? It was Young a Hugh Jackman movie. It oh. was Oh, um, the Van Helsing? Van Helsing, yeah. I believe that's correct. <laughs> very small world um so you're you're on broadway in oklahoma and then how, okay so you you've broke through the noise you've got to that place it's very few people get to in our industry and and is it then about sustaining the show you're in and you're you're constantly looking for something else is it easy once you've got the foot in the door to continue or is it just as difficult Yes and no. Um, I wish that that was a, a clean cut answer, but I don't think there is one. I will say that the advice I always give when I do a master class is be kind. Don't be a jerk. Be kind. Be kind to your lighting designer. Be kind to your wardrobe people. Be kind to your set designer. Be kind to the stage manager because some of my favorite jobs I got not because I had the that one magical audition. It's because somebody said, take a look at her. We like her. Take a look at her. She's awesome. You know, I mean, it was always a, a recommendation. Um, and uh, I mean, some of the jobs I got just having a fabulous audition, don't get me wrong, but they, I really feel like once you're in the industry, it, that's not enough. Just getting your foot in the door. Right. Um, and I hate when bad behavior gets rewarded when somebody is a total jerk and <laughs> that gets, to re gets rewarded. I hate when that happens and it does. But um, I think that it's a little easier once you do have a Broadway credit for sure. And it is that frustrating catch 22 of how am I supposed to get a Broadway credit till I get a Broadway credit? How do I get in the door on Broadway until I'm on Broadway? And it's a, it's a very strange equation that there is no perfect answer to. So my husband always said that luck is preparation plus opportunity. So if you're not prepared when you get the opportunity and you tank, or if you are totally prepared and never get the opportunity to shine. So I, I'm 
always trying to take a voice lesson. I'm always trying to take a vocal coaching. Even still, I try to keep everything up to date. But if you are not prepared, if you're not working on your art in some way, when you do get that magical opportunity that comes your way, you just want to be ready to do your very best on the day. Um, so yes, I, I think being on Broadway is amazing, but I can't say that it's the pinnacle. I know that a lot of times when people are in college, they say, I'm on Broadway and that's going to be the greatest thing ever. It is the greatest thing ever. However, I've done some of my most fulfilling or most satisfying work regionally at a house where there wasn't the the Broadway producer who is worried about their bottom line and 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 that. So the art is the same. It's just the money and the stakes are different on Broadway. Um, where did you meet your husband, Kathy? Oh, in the most cliche manner uh, available. Um, I was the understudy Christine and he came in as the understudy Raoul after I'd been on the road for nine or 10 months. And um, so we were always at understudy rehearsal together since he was learning Raoul and I already knew Christine. And we just ended up having such similar senses of humor and completely giggling together. And eventually um, we broke up with the people that we had been seeing and started dating. <laughs> so we started dating a showmance. I love, I love that. it. I love it. That's how the film starts when we're going to tell this story. <laughs> I had an understudy put in rehearsal. Yes, and we were doing pratfalls instead of doing the Hell Prince melodrama. We kept throwing ourselves on the floor as though... Raul and Christine were very clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're extending Phantom right now a little bit longer than they thought. Is that what's happening? Until April, I think. Yeah, that is. Originally, they gave a February closing date, I believe, and they extended it till April just to meet demand, which is great. Um, it, I mean, I never thought it would close in my lifetime, to be honest. It's been there my entire uh, music theater awareness it's always been there so it's so strange to think of it not so that's kind of heartbreaking and at the same time all good things must come to an end I, I, and I'm sure it'll reopen in a different incarnation sometime I was going to say I I'm interested to see the various different regional productions and their reimagining of the, the if, if it's allowed you know I, I'm curious too um I think that it's funny when you see Phantom on the page just like the libretto and the score it's, you know, it's interesting, but I really feel like Jillian Lind and Hal Prince's um, vision together made it beautiful. Like it's stunning to look at. Even still, if you go see Phantom, it is breathtakingly beautiful to look at. And not just because the costumes are so opulent and the, and the set as well, but the staging and the lighting and the choreography all together make it even though it is melodramatic, they lean into the melodrama. And I think that's what makes it hold up. Yeah. we I, I've only seen it once, and that was here at the Candy Center on tour. Our friend uh, Sean McLaughlin was in it, right? Yeah. And it was a magical evening. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that this is what Phantom was like. I mean, I course knew it was like but not to watch the whole thing and yeah it really it it works i mean you you either enjoy the melodrama or you think it's hokey but if again and the more they lean into it i think the more it holds up so i'll be curious it matches the set it matches the costumes it yes. matches the grandi grandiose music so the it freaking chandelier falls, falls. yeah I mean, well on. even still those are some of the most spectacular costumes i've worn uh the Linda Cho's Gentleman's Guide costumes are up there as well. <laughs> another show, another Broadway show that you were in. Um, you, you, I mean, you have quite an impressive uh, list of credits um, since Oklahoma. Thank you. Broadway. Um, there was a, a certain point. I don't know if you remember this or not. That Matt, do you want to set this story up at the Triad Theater? Well, before, before we talk about the Triad, I'm going to talk about Gentleman's Guide. Yep. I don't really think I know much about what Gentleman's Guide is. It is a beautiful jewel box of the musical. Jefferson Mays played, I think, 12. I'm, it's not funny, it's been a couple of years now, and I'm fuzzy, but 12 different characters, all of whom are related as Monty Navarro finds out that he is heir to the uh, an earl. And he, <laughs> in order to inherit, he has to bump off 
12 of his relatives first and he proceeds to do so and Jefferson Mays played every single one of the relatives. Oh my gosh. There are love triangles and the music by Stephen Lutback and the words by Robert Friedman are so fantastic and I, I can't and it won the Tony for Best Musical that year out of nowhere because there were no um, there were no star names. I mean, there were seasoned players, but there wasn't any stunt casting. It was all just fabulously talented music theater folk and theater folk just telling a really well-told, painfully funny, directed by Darko Trezhnik and Peggy Hickey did the choreography. It was just a delicious production and I was lucky enough to be hired after the Tonys. Um, they realized, oh my gosh, we're going to run. And they only had one female swing, one male swing and one standby for uh, Jefferson. And they were like, holy crap, we need some more coverage. And they hired me as a vacation swing. And then it turned into a, no, we're going to keep you full time swing. <laughs> so I, it was delicious because I got to play three ensemble feature characters and Phoebe and Sabella, the two female leads, a lot. So I was on I was on stage more than I was off stage. And I loved playing each part more than the last. I I, I would I would be doing Gentleman's Guide today if it were still running. I would never have left it. I would have stayed to the end. <laughs> okay, I have just one question. Lay it on me. I know what it feels like to have like opening night jitters and be like, oh my God, I have to know all these lines to dot, dot, dot. And I know it's like to have like the, a celebrity in the audience like, oh my gosh, you guys, Eartha Kick's watching the show tonight. Wonder why she's here. I know it's like to have drinks with Stephen Sondheim and feel like you're not really good enough. However, what does it feel like when you have to take your show to the Tonys and perform in front of like that sea of peers and everyone's up for something. Is it like a, a, a very fun celebration or is it like you're all on eggshells? Like, oh my gosh, and, and the TV's coming and they're gonna film, you know, and is it a different it's theater totally, every, every year? These feel fantastic it, because you are so prepared. You have special Tony's rehearsals at your theater and then you have a special one shot at it rehearsal at Radio City where they do all the lights and camera angles and stuff. So you might do it once, you might do it twice, three times tops, and then you go back to do your matinee or your evening show that night. So Tony's, you're incredibly well rehearsed. I'm not saying that the stakes aren't high, but everyone is so pumped and also so exhausted because it always takes place on a weekend and no show is dark on the weekend. So you're just hilariously trying to get through because oftentimes you've had a four shows before you've done the Tonys. You've already done four in a row. You've done maybe a Friday night, two Saturday and a Sunday matinee. And then the Tonys happen. So um, any extra edge that you might have is not the edge of the people in the audience. It's the dear Lord, please let us all have enough voice and enough stamina to get through the next two hours. Yeah. <laughs> so. Matthew, back to the triad. Why don't you set this up, please? Oh, gosh. Well, who cares? But um, several I what, care. what, what year was it, Stephen? Oh, God, I'm bad with years. 2008? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I got contacted by Billy Bustamante. Billy Bustamante said, we're celebrating composers from different cities. You are Washington. Come to New York and do a concert at the Triad. Bring your four songs or whatever. We'll supply the the talent, the singers for your music. And I was, you know, Matt. And I, <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm bringing the talent from D.C. There's nobody going to be singing my music because I'm a D.C.er. <laughs> and I played this whole like game with him. Like, no, 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 no. And he was like, Okay, well, can we at least have one person from New York sing it? And I was like, fine, whatever. <laughs> and then I, I, I'd send him, I think, Boston, and he was trying to explain, I was trying to explain what, what the song needed. And then, of course, I don't know if, I think I must have found out before I arrived at the Triad that it was you, but he was like, you know, it's going to be Kathy Voitko. And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, I, I feel really stupid now but I was thinking that I was like fighting for something that was going to be in my documentary or my Tyra Banks interview of like well I represent Washington <laughs> do interviews anymore no but it's, okay. she does in my mind 
And then you <laughs> sang the song Boston so beautifully at that little celebration, that little theater that I think was above a Chinese restaurant. Well, hilariously, the reason I know that it was 2008 is it was literally that morning that I found out that I was pregnant with my first kid. <laughs> oh, wow. And it was too early to tell anybody. Like, it was just sort of like, I got a pregnant, uh, positive pregnancy test, but it was, you know, six or seven weeks and you don't tell anybody that early because it's, you know, hit or miss at that point. Right. But I remember it so well. I was like, holy crap, I'm knocked up. And I'm singing my friend's music and I'm living my best life. <laughs> wow. Were you still living in New York at that time or? Yes, I lived. I think that I had an apartment in Astoria at that time. But yes. What do you think has changed mostly in the business in New York in your span that you've been there? Is it is now there are a lot more digital sort of video auditions or does that? Yes. Um, it's been interesting, actually. There's so much that there's so much change for good. There's so much more interesting, colorful, fabulous stories being told. There's a lot more inclusion. It's not just a, a bunch of pink colored people out there. And I love that. Um, but I do hate the digital audition because there's something different about live theater. Why we do live theater, there's something about hearing somebody's voice in a room that doesn't translate sometimes, I think, to a video audition in the same way that there's something about film that's very different in a good way. But uh, so I don't know. I feel like a lot of great talent might be lost because maybe that person is sounds amazing and reverberates in your lungs in a different way in the room than it does over a video monitor. I, that, that's my only problem with the video audition situation. And I think it was vital to do that during COVID, the worst days of the pandemic, because that was the safest way and the most efficient way. But there's something about the video audition, I think, that gets lost. Because, you know, when you're watching somebody on stage, they're 2,500 yards away from you. And some people tell the story for 100 yards away from them. And some people tell it to the camera. And those two things are not always the same. Right. And we probably aren't, we probably aren't going back. I know I, it's, it's, it's a quandary for me. Um, there's something about hearing somebody's voice live, you know, particularly as a, as a musician as well, Matt, you know, there's something about the timbre of somebody's voice that some doesn't always translate. Well, over. sure. I mean, we could talk forever about just the, the vibrations just organically from either the instrument or the human being that sort of, creates this space of life and makes you feel like you're alive. And I always depended on the nerves to kind of like push me up to that next level. And when you're recording it, like the I'm stakes are lower. Yeah, yeah. Just lower. Well, not to mention the fact that there's something like, for instance, some of my favorite recording artists sound amazing over a microphone, like right up against their microphone playing there. I saw, for instance, Gavin DeGraw, I saw him live in New York City. He was extraordinary and he is right the heck up in that microphone at his piano. And he knows how to work that mic. But there's something different about a live theater, music theater performer. That's not how we use our mic. We use our mic as a secondary station. Right. We, we're not right on top of it. So I don't know. I feel, I feel like we're missing a couple things in that audition process. And I feel like some extraordinary performers might get overlooked because they don't translate necessarily on a video um, and vice versa. There might be some people that translate better over a video and we hear them live and we can't hear them uh, 10 yards away. So I don't know. It's a weird, <laughs> it's a pickle. I do want to see Adele live. Oh yes, me too. <laughs> I, I saw a clip of her in Vegas. <laughs> Did you see this? She stopped the band and said, I'm so sorry. Can we start that over? You know, I'm a little bit pitchy. <laughs> she was like off key or something that was yeah you can tell i took accents and dialects class at um Shandoa. yeah that was uh western same. cockney same <laughs> um a question about the pandemic going back to that were you already um was music man already kind of in the pipeline and then i, I can't remember the timeline yes uh, a lot of us had already been cast pre-pandemic and we were all set to start and then we were going to do a workshop. Um, I want to, 
Oh, is that funny? I'm fuzzy too, but I want to say our workshop was supposed to start in April and it was the last week of February or something that we got our shelter in place orders and nothing happened. And we all got an email from management saying, okay, we're going to pause and we're going to pick this back up again in June or July, the workshop. And we're like, great. So <laughs> two years later, <laughs> um, a lot of us were still in the company and a couple of people had been recast. And I, I don't want to talk out of school. I don't really know if that was because of the Scott Rudin situation and we get it, we got a new lead producer and that whole debacle. I, I'm not privy to much of that, but I, some people did not remain throughout the pandemic. And there were a couple recastings after the bulk of the shutdown, but yes, I was cast before before the pandemic was ever even a whisper. So that was lucky for me. At the same time, I was crossing my fingers and saying some prayers the whole pandemic because none of us really knew what was gonna become of Broadway. We didn't know if our contracts were valid. All of our dates had shifted and management had shifted and company management had shifted and producers had shifted and we there were no guarantees. So it was a scary, scary time. And I'm super grateful that I remained with the production because it's been a series of fabulous, fun blessings. I sometimes forget the conversations that we've had already. But Garrett Long told us that, all of that. And that's why I was like, no, I seem to remember. Yeah, she told you that, Stephen. Um, yeah, that whole thing about the pause and the workshop. Um, so you have another alum in your cast with you from SU. I do, my pal Garrett Elise Long. Now, I knew her as Elise in college, but she goes by Garrett now. So every now and again, I'm the odd man out and I call her Elise and she's happy to answer to that. But everybody else calls her Garrett. <laughs> I know. And I think I kept saying both. Yeah, she's interchangeable now. But I think yeah. I was like, Garrett Elise. It's a huge delight to work with her. Um, I just adore her. She's hilarious. And it's been uh, it's been an unexpected pleasure. Well, of course, we used to see her around town doing stuff. And I would be like, well, why am I in the business? Because... Garrett Elise is showing us all what to do here. <laughs> now, of course, we would be remiss if we did not mention you had an extremely, speaking of pandemic, viral moment. Um, <laughs> Dental viral moment, yes. <laughs> that was, that was well-deserved and I think started the trend of really the grateful thanks to Swings and Understudies that, I mean, that kept the industry going. I mean... Uh, there's been so many bouts of COVID that ripple through casts. I mean, I think you, you were saying there was just a recent one, um, at least like a few months ago or something. But um, Weeks. I mean, we're still having cases here and there. But um, Hugh is, well, I mean, let's face it. He's kind of a jerk in real life. No, I'm completely kidding. He's the, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the greatest. Um, there was an unfortunate statement put out by the head of the Broadway League, which shall yes. I don't even want to give it any oxygen. Yep. But she said something ridiculous like that swings aren't as efficient and that's why Broadway is floundering. Meanwhile, swings, covers, standbys were killing themselves to do as much as they could, <laughs> to do as many tracks as they could to keep all the shows up and running because if the show is not running, Nobody is making an income. Nobody is making a living. It's it's not great for anybody. So um, with the mandatory 10 day out of the show, when you were COVID positive, it was the swings and the covers who were jumping in under rehearsed, underslept and just tr doing their absolute best and killing it. And it was it was just a few days before Sutton tested positive that that statement came out. And I thought it was remarkably classy because Hugh negated every single thing that she said without ever saying her name or referencing it. And it was just an extraordinary, gallant, gentlemanly, kind, arms-linked company member thing to do. And, and that's him, honestly. He wants everyone to do their best job. And literally nobody works harder in the room than he. I, I said this during rehearsals, sometimes you'd be on a 10 minute break. And that was the only time that the swings and covers and standby could get in the middle of the floor and go over that combination that they had just done and sort of work it out in our own body. 
and sometimes he would come back early and be like, Hey, can I go over that with you guys again too? I, I, I need to practice too. Oh, like wow. that's, that's the kind of guy he is. So, um, I knew that he was going to say something after the show because, again, it was so ridiculous. It just the idea of it is ridiculous that we're putting somebody on in a lead role in the fourth preview who's never had a single rehearsal, apart from 40-minute music rehearsal um, in a small room at the rehearsal studio with the music director. <laughs> um, I had never been even allowed on stage because at that point, our COVID protocols had all covers watching from the mezzanine because they wanted as little people backstage as they could have. So we literally, we the swings, standby, understudies, nobody knew the backstage traffic at all. We had never been on the sets. We had, we didn't know any of that stuff. <laughs> so th that scenario is ridiculous, right? When you think about doing a two and a half hour musical, never having walked on the stage or actually physically done any of the choreography with anybody except yourself and maybe another cover. Well, and that's the big picture stuff. That's not even to talk about props or costume changes. Yeah, none of that. So, Or, or just traffic pattern. So before the show, Jerry Zachs had made a pre-show speech that sort of something like, this is our cover. She's really under rehearsed. So if things go wrong, you know, just bear with us. He gave me a disclaimer, Jerry. <laughs> nice. And I guess the audience was sort of great. Because <laughs> um, I immediately called my chosen family, Sean Allen Krill and Harry Booby, who are husbands. And I said, you guys, if there's any way you can get to the theater tonight, I would really love my, my family to be in my corner. <laughs> and so Sean Krill and Harry Booby were sitting, you know, I think sort of like in house seats. And they, they said, yeah, people groaned. Yeah, people were not happy, but we quickly said, that's our pal, you know. <laughs> Nice. And so gradually I won them over um, and I knew that he was going to say something. But what I expected him to say was, this is my friend Kathy and I'm so proud of her and the end. But what he did was extraordinary. And the fact that everybody had their cell phones out shows how extraordinary. But the fact that he called not just me, but all the covers and swings who were on that night who had jumped in last minute as well. And I thought that was the classiest, kindest most beautiful company member thing to do, not just as an international film star, but as, like I said, an ensemble team player. Well, going back to what you said earlier about your advice to just be kind and that kindness uh, comes in front of you. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, it was a, a very moving thing to see. And also like uh, just knowing having been there ourselves in different, not, not on Broadway clearly, but the pressure of, of like, you know, stepping in for someone who everyone wants to see. I mean, how was your soul and your mental, like everything <laughs> when you found out you had to go on? And I mean, how did you compartmentalize? Um, I can only say it best because Julian Sutton's extraordinary dresser said, listen, we're just, I'm, I gotcha. We're going to be okay. And I only had a limited number of costumes because my costumes were still being built. So I had two of my own. And then um, during act one, they were altering Sutton so that I could wear her stuff for act two. Oh my gosh. Is that hilarious? So, um, so I had literally never worn the clothes and Julian said to me, um, okay, what do you need? And I said, where do I meet you after the scene? He said, stage left too. And I said, great. He said, do you want to know the next one? And I said, nope. Tell me when I come off stage. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. So I just, I just literally, it sounds so cliche, but I literally took it one scene at a time because it was too ridiculous to think of the entire night. I just had to go one scene at a time. And mercifully, while um, we were in tech, I had printed, there's my dog flapping his ears, sorry. Um, I right. should have announced an hour ago that if you hear snoring, our two pugs <laughs> are on the couch like, well, Kingsley's a, Kingsley's a great Dane lab mix. So he's very tall and every now and again, he has to come visit, but he's, you know, head height. Um, but anyway, uh, it was very, very accidentally um, lucky that I had taken every single Marion line and put it in a small binder and my husband bound it for me. And it was just the Marion scenes, nothing else. And it was just my little cheat sheet. 
And while we were doing tech, I did a small cheat sheet for myself. Like she comes in stage left 12 and then she goes to stage left eight and just made just a quick reference. And I gave that to my dresser and I said, will you have this with you at all times so that whenever I come off stage, I can do a quick glance at what my important marks are for lighting, for, you know, lighting specials and things like that. <laughs> and he said, absolutely. And he had it with him the whole time. So I, that's just it. It's one scene at a time and doing your homework. And I've always been good at doing my homework. So thank God I did it and uh, was prepared. Again, preparation plus opportunity. That's your own luck. Yep. And I imagine you've had to go on since that. Yeah, I've done. It's funny. I haven't keep in count, but uh, haven't keep in. Did I just say? That's haven't fine. It's Midwest. <laughs> I need a glass of wine. Um, I haven't kept count, but I think it is at this point, it's 15, 16 times, 15 or 16. So more than I ever expected because Sutton is such a strong, fabulous lady. I love her personally as well as on stage. She's awesome. Um, And she doesn't miss casually. She loves to be at her job doing her job. So I never expected to go on as often as I have. And it was mostly due to COVID. And I think once due to bronchial thing, just an an infection she was kicking. And how long are you still, uh, is the show running till? January 15th is our closing. And um, we always knew it was a limited run. We thought we would close January 1st, but then they both decided to stay on for two extra weeks. So January 15th it is. And then I would like to like take a, trip to Fiji. I don't have the money to take a trip to Fiji, but I would like to go to Fiji for a minute and just lay on a beach. <laughs> but if you would like to donate to the Fiji vacation, <laughs> then we, we, we are here for it. For a Fiji fund. <laughs> the, the Fiji fund. <clears throat> well, Kathy, thank you so much for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, I've got just one quick, quick, quick question. Time I can, darn it. I just got one quick question with with your family, your busy New Jersey life, your church family, Flo and Tim, what, how do you go and see uh, like even another show? Well, that's the, the blessing and the curse. If you are lucky enough to be working, you rarely have enough time to see all the shows that are on Broadway. So my January and February, I hope will be filled with some shows because I, most of the time they're on the same schedule as us, or if they're not on the same schedule as us, it's so hard to pull yourself back into Midtown to go see something on your one night off. So I'm woefully behind on theater viewing. Um, And I don't know if I'll get to see, for instance, I wanted to see Beetlejuice before it closes because I didn't get to see it pre-pandemic. There's so many things I've been wanting to see. I've been wanting to see my pal Jefferson who just left us to go do his one man Christmas carol. Um, I want to go see Beautiful Noise. I hope it runs. I have a bunch of pals in that. So I, I don't know. I, there are so many things that I'm dying to see. And um, I guess our January clothing will, will um, give a, me an opportunity to go see it. But it is tricky. It's, the, it's a strange catch-22. When you're working, sometimes it's hard to see all the other things that you're dying to see. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, are any of those playing in Fiji? Because that would be a great catch-22, <laughs> you know. And can um, we work that out? Can the, we have the, a theater trip to Fiji? <laughs> the Fiji bus and truck. During the pandemic, <laughs> during the during the pandemic, did you binge anything? Oh my gosh, I binged so much during the pandemic. For instance, I never saw Game of Thrones. I never watched a single episode. So my husband and I watched it from the beginning. That was terribly fun, and awful and bloody and all the good things. Um, And we watched every single Marvel movie from the beginning and every single Star Wars and then the Mandalorian. We watched it all in order. Like we looked it up online of what the best way to do that was. Um, Yes. Oh, and also Billions. I I became a Billions fan during the pandemic. It's Paul Giamatti, right? (laughs) Yes. Paul Giamatti? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the, I haven't, what's, what's Billion streaming on? Showtime? Oh, is that funny? I don't know. <laughs> huh. like we well, have so streaming services right now. I don't know which is which. <laughs> yeah, right. Me neither. Well, Kathy, we know that you're busy and you've got things to do. We're going to let you go. Oh, I'm so delighted to talk to you guys. And again, let me know when you're back in the hood, because I would love to see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have a wonderful night. Okay. Good night, my friends. Good night. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks so much for finding time to chat with us, Kathy. We appreciate it. We know you're on a tight schedule at the Music Man, um, but it was very, very great to hear your voice and listen to your story. Um, so thank you so much for that. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon under Connor and Smith, again with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out a lot. Share it where you share things, post it where you post things. You can join the Discord board. The link is in the description of this podcast where you can, you know, share photos that you don't want to put on social media, uh, say hi to whoever is the latest alum whatever you want to do on there just keep it clean um and then finally uh if you have not checked it out we do have another podcast out there that is an audio adventure called long shot it is uh lgbtqia uh 80s set in an arcade during a zombie apocalypse action auditory adventure Please do check it out. I will put the link in the podcast description. Other than that, hope you are having happy holidays, whatever you celebrate, and staying warm. All right, we will see you again soon. Bye! Bye.